We are in Romans uh, chapter 5. We started uh, last week and uh, the way I had the syllabus broken down uh, was to do uh, verses 1 through 6 last week and then, or excuse me, 1 through 5 last week and then 6 through 11 this week, but but we only got through a couple verses last week, uh, through verses 1 and 2. So, uh, what I want to do today is pick up with verse 3 and uh, hopefully get down through verse uh, 8 today. It's all really kind of one paragraph. Verses 1 through 11 is kind of one whole section. Uh, It all kind of flows together. So, uh, so I'm just trying to take it uh, just kind of as it comes and it all flows together. So, there's no real convenient place to break anywhere in this, these 11 verses. So, uh, but uh, that's uh, kind of where we are. Uh, as I said last week, we looked at verses 1 and 2. And uh, so let's start reading. Let's just start reading in verse 1. Uh, we'll read down through verse 8 and, uh, and then go back and just kind of think a little bit, do our review as we usually do. Uh, before we go on. So he says in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So look back at those first couple verses, verses 1 and 2. And, and uh, let's kind of prime the pump here and see if we can remember some of the things we talked about last week. What, did we, <clears throat> what do you see there that you remember we talked about last week? Okay. Okay. So, so there's really kind of a major shift in the style of Paul's presentation here in the letter. Whereas in the first uh, first chapters that we looked at through chapter, particularly through chapter three, but even in chapter four, he he's, he uh, there's a lot of the kind of diatribe or or uh, almost debate type of thing going on. But when we get to chapter five, there's this transition that. Uh, that Sarah just mentioned, this transition into more of a confessional. And when we use that term, we don't mean in the sense of confessing sins, but rather the idea of, of stating what we believe and what we now know is true about us. 
as believers. Why does Paul make this shift? What, what, what movement do we have in the contents that calls for this kind of a shift in his presentation? I like it when I ask these questions. I ask them so well that everybody just looks at me like, I have no clue what he's asking. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. At least Sarah was listening last week. <laughs> um, we're, we're moving now from the discussion of how a person is justified. That's what he's been, that's what, what he's been working on for chapters 1 through 4 is the need for justification and then how that justification happens. And now when we get to chapter 5, you'll notice he starts out there, he says, having been justified. In other words, we're moving on from this. We're moving on from, from, the, from the point of conversion and we're going to ask ourselves, what are the implications of that? How, what... What, what, is, what does it look like to be a justified person? Okay, So that's really kind of what he's talking about here in chapter 5 is, is now that I am justified, what is true about me? And what are the, how should I think? And, uh, and, and how do I view myself and my relationship with God now that I'm justified? So, so there really is this major shift of content. And this shift of content is what calls for this different style of presentation. So now it's no longer us and them or me and you, but it's us together. What are we as believers? Uh, what is our experience? And, and one of the things that we talked about last week is, is that as we move on from the point of conversion in our life, and hopefully we do move on, we don't just get converted and just kind of stay there, but as we move on, uh, it's, it's necessary for us to, to, to move, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, to move on from the elementary principles, to move on from the elementary things and to discover all these wonderful things that are true and profound things that are now true about us and, and to discover much more about God and our relationship with Him that, we, that, that really were just beyond us or, you know, they weren't even a consideration to us at that point of conversion. They were things that, that we discover later. And so there's so much more to discover. But the other thing that we talked about was that in moving on, we still need to stay rooted in the gospel. We still need to stay connected to the gospel. And so that's really kind of what Paul is doing here. He's building on the gospel that he's presented, the idea of justification by faith and the work of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the death of resurrection, he's building upon that this edifice of greater understanding, but it's always built on this foundation. So ultimately, we always come back in our understanding of these greater and even more profound issues that we're about to discover. We always come back to this foundation of the gospel. Okay? What else? If there is anything else after I've been doing all this talking. Well, his notes is kind of. I just really have to prepare this. I still think that I have an opportunity today to share this kind of relationship with my thanks to you because the other two are gone. 
Oh, great. Uh-huh. Great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Great. That's good. And that is one of the things we talked about last week is is how we were and we'll talk about this some more next week too. How we were the enemies of God. We were we were at war with God and God was resisting and was opposed to us and this was our condition before we before we came to faith in Christ and were justified by faith. And and so this so our our status as our or our condition was was one of hostility and war towards God. And of course as unbelievers oftentimes we we're kind of oblivious to that. Some of us were, are very some unbelievers are very overtly at war with God, but but for more, I think probably for more people who are unbelievers, it's, it's, it's kind of a subtext of their life. And they're not really aware how much they're at war with God, but in fact, they are. And, and the remarkable thing that's happened through the, through the gospel, through Christ, is that we just suddenly, in a moment, have, been, have gone from a state of being at war with God to being at peace with Him. And, and this is one of the things that Paul points out uh, that, that happened. You know, and I, and I think about the life of Paul himself. How his life is an example of this. How even though he thought he was serving God, in reality he was at war with God. And so when, when Christ confronts him there on the Damascus Road, you know, he, he talks about him kicking against the goads and persecuting him. And, things like, and, and of course, that was the furthest thing from Paul blind. He didn't realize that that's in fact what he was doing, but he was. So to Paul himself, this discussion of, of going from being at war with God to being at peace with God was something that he had personally experienced in a very profound way in his own life. You can imagine uh, imagine the, the transformation in his own outlook towards God between the day that he set out on the Damascus Road and the day that he arrived in Damascus. You know, just... He sets out at war with God and he arrives at Damascus at peace with God. It's just a, it's a remarkable transformation. What else? I was a uh, week before last working at home and playing those two greeting songs I had found. And mm-hmm. There's one that this verse, the grace in which I stand. Oh, uh-huh. And then, you know, we covered it the next week. That's kind of neat. I don't know if that's the name of the song, but that's the theme of it. That's an amazing thing when we think about the fact that we just there again we were at war with God, but now we we just stand in this grace. It's not a one-time grace is not a one-time thing we experience, but it's a condition that we live in. We just constantly live as believers. We live in this condition of grace. Or some call it the state of grace that we live in, and that's just a pretty incredible thing. And and Paul says that we were introduced into this state by Jesus Christ. Christ brought us into this state of grace. Well, those are some of the things we talked about last week. And so, at the end of last week, you know, we we have this view now of us as believers. Now that we are justified by Christ, now that we are saved, we have this view that here we are. We are. At peace with God, 
we, we stand in this condition of grace. And there at the end of verse 2, he says, we exult in hope of the glory of God, which of course is something else that we talked about last week about this about the glory of God being a, a, being a reference to, to really two things. One is our, our, our future hope of, of living in and participating in and experience and seeing and enjoying the glory of God. So there's that aspect of it. But then there's the other aspect of it that, is that, that, that we are going to actually finally be returned to that condition that He originally intended us to be where we really fully reflect the image of Christ, where we really fully reflect the image of God. So, so, so we will actually be living out and displaying in our lives the glory of God. So there's, there's two aspects to our hope. One is, is living in the glory of God and enjoying it and seeing it and participating in it. And the other aspect of it is actually having God's glory reflected through our own lives and, and, and displaying the, the glory and the image of God through our lives the way we were originally intended to. So, Paul says we, we hope in that. So, this is the life of the believer. And you kind of get, by the time you get to the end of verse 2, you kind of have this view of the life of the believer as this kind of idyllic life, right? Isn't that our experience? We just kind of go along in life and we're at peace with God and we're hoping in the glory of God and we're enjoying God's grace and, and everything's hunky-dory, right? Except we still live in a fallen world. Oh, okay. Well, that makes it a little different, doesn't it? So actually, while all these things are true about us, we still encounter tribulation and that's what Paul brings up in verse 3. So Paul's a realist here. All these things that we've just said are true about us, but as Milford says, we live in a fallen world. We are still fallen creatures ourselves. And so we encounter throughout our life, we encounter tribulation. So even though all these things are true about us, we have tribulation. So we just kind of slouch through life going, woe is me because I have all these bad experiences in my life. Right? People are shaking their heads. <laughs> okay. Paul says, what does Paul say about our tribulation? He says, we exult in our tribulations. Shall I ask for a show of hands? <laughs> yeah. We exult in our tribulations, he says. And I'm going, Ooh, whoa, excuse me, Paul. He says, we exult in our tribulations. So, Paul's exulting in the hope of the glory of God. He has this hope of all this glory that we talked about that's down the road. Last week I used the term eschatological. But it's, it, it's, it's a hope that we have for something at the end, at the conclusion of things. Uh, and, and so we call it an eschatological hope that we have for the future. Okay, So we have this hope for the future and we exult in that hope. But Paul says, even as we're going through tribulations, and so Paul is acknowledging, yes, we experience tribulation. And if anybody experienced tribulation, Paul experienced tribulation. I mean, he lists some of them in the New Testament for us. And it's pretty awesome, some of the things that Paul went through. Okay, So he says, yes, we experience tribulation, but even in the tribulation, we are exulting. Okay, Why? Why does he exult in tribulation? Is he just a masochist? Okay, 
because and then he lists a sequence of events that is the consequence of tribulation. Tribulation produces, he says, perseverance and perseverance, he says, produces proven character and proven character, he says, produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Okay. So, Paul does not rejoice in persecution or suffering or affliction or tribulation. He doesn't rejoice in those things simply because, you know, there's, there's something just good about suffering itself. But he rejoices in it because he sees that it has this it, it triggers this process in the life of the believer. Okay. Now, the, one of the questions that commentators struggle with, or I don't know if they struggle, but they debate or discuss is somewhat, is what is Paul referring to when he's referring to tribulation here? Is he referring to uh, those difficulties that we encounter in our life because of our testimony and our witness to Christ? In other words, is he referring to persecution? Or is he referring to something broader and, and, and deeper than that? I was looking at this list here on the board as, uh, after we got our list of prayer requests up here and I was just looking at all the tribulation, <laughs> all the suffering that's just represented right here on this board. Right? There's all kinds of stuff up there. There's people struggling with job issues and there's people struggling with death in the family and, and, and health, real critical health issues and... and uh, and problems with our children and difficulties, challenges faced. Right? There's all kinds of difficulties that are up there, right? And so, there's really more to our tribulation in life than just persecution. And I think that Paul really has much more of that in mind when he talks about it. And, and the reason I say that is because the consequence of what he... Uh, uh, isn't that nice? I can just erase all those things. That's what God's going to do eventually, right? Okay. Uh, uh, I lost my train of thought there. So, uh, so Paul, here's my marker. So Paul talks about tribulation, and I think he has in mind. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, as you look at the kind of things that Paul talks about, have these consequences in our life. If you look at other passages, so in other words, he says. Tribulation brings about perseverance, proven character, and hope. If you look at other passages, Paul includes in, the, in his list of sufferings that produce those things, things more than just persecution. So, when Paul's talking about tribulation, or when the Scripture... Uh, of course, you have to look at the context to know for sure. But I think in this context here, in Romans chapter 5, as he's talking about tribulation, I think we can think about it including all three of these categories. It includes... It certainly includes, first of all, persecution. So, so uh, persecution would be, uh, would be the tribulation that we experience as a direct result of our testimony for Christ or of our attempt to minister for Him. So as we go out and we minister, we share the gospel, whatever, and, and people oppose us or ridicule us or, or persecute us in some way, okay, those would be included in these tribulations. Okay? And so, from these things come, from, the, from these persecutions come these three things. 
that he lists here. Perseverance, proven character, and hope. Okay. But there are other aspects of tribulation. There's other aspects of suffering. What would be another aspect of suffering or tribulation? One is persecution or, or cause of suffering. What else? Okay. Uh, okay. Life. I call it stuff. Okay? Just stuff. But actually, there's a verse, there's a word they use in the Bible. James uses it. Peter uses it. And he calls it, they just call it various trials, right? Remember, James talks about various trials. Peter talks about various trials. There's just stuff that happens in life, right? Okay? So, in Paul, as Paul goes through his list of things, he talks about being beaten times without number and stuff like that. That's persecutions. But he also talks about spending, you know, nights out in the cold and he talks about being shipwrecked. And, you know, he talks about other things that aren't direct result of, of persecution or of his thing. It's just life. It's just stuff that happens. It's the various trials that happen in our life. There's another cause of suffering or another kind of suffering or tribulation in our life. What would that be? Pardon? Temptation, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Temptation. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't think of that. Uh, that's a good one. But it's closely related to the issue of temptation. When we sin, then what happens? If we're believers. We're disciplined, okay? So there's discipline. Okay, so we oftentimes experience discipline in our life. And this is a tribulation that we experience. But what we see as we look at various passages in Scripture, as we look at Corinthians, uh, as we uh, uh, look at James, as we look at uh, 1 Peter, as we look at the things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, what we discover is that all of these things, all of these things have the effect in our life, if we're believers, have the effect in our life of developing perseverance and through perseverance, proven character and through proven character, hope. Okay. Now, we'll, we'll explore a little bit more about how that process works here in just a minute. So, what Paul, say, what Paul is saying here then is, is, okay, all these things are true about me that I'm, you know, that I have peace with God and I'm, and I'm, and, I, and I've now been introduced into this position or this state of grace and I have this glorious hope of the future in which I exult in the hope that is mine now because I'm a believer. But I also go through a lot of tribulation. And I'm really grateful to God for the tribulation in my life because it is ultimately producing in my life a hope which does not disappoint. Now, as I, as I read that verse in Romans 5, he says, those verses, he says, he says, we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And we can understand that. Okay. And that perseverance brings about proven character. And we can kind of figure that out. And then he says the proven character brings about hope. And I'm going, Lord, how does that work? How is it that that the suffering and the perseverance and the proven character, how does that bring about hope? 
Well, let's think about this process for a little bit. He is, of course, here talking about the believer, right? He's talking about the person who is justified. He's talking about himself and he's talking about the fe- his fellow believers in Rome and he's identifying with them and he says, we exult in our tribulation because we know these things happen. Do these, does this sequence of events happen in everybody's life? Does everybody who suffer, does everybody who suffers uh, tribulation uh, persevere? No, they don't, do they? Does everybody who perseveres, do they have proven character? Well, they don't, do they? And does everybody who has proven character have hope? No, they don't. These are things that really apply only to the believer. So, so we all know a lot of people who had a lot of tribulation in their life, but they really don't persevere. And... And, and so the question is, what do we mean by perseverance? Perseverance is that quality of life that as we suffer, we remain strong in our faith to God. For, you know, think of Abraham, for example. What Paul says there in, in chapter 4, that he, that he goes, goes through all this difficulty, all this tribulation, this suffering in his life of not being able to have children, but having the promise of God. And it says he does not waver in unbelief. The characteristic or the quality of life of the person who's truly saved is that as they encounter tribulation, they remain strong in believing God. They cling to God. As they go through tribulation, they just cling to God. And I was thinking... Uh, this illustration is probably a pretty tacky illustration, but I kind of dig it. Yeah, how many of you have how many of you have ridden roller coasters? You know, well, we all ridden roller coasters. Okay, most of us have ridden roller coasters. Yeah, some people regret it, some people don't. But but you know, I like the old, you know, the the new whirly gig things. You know, they're all cool and fun. But those old wooden, you know. Uh, roller coasters, you know, where you're going, clank, you know, as you're going up the first hill, you know, you're going clank, 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 as you, you know, and with each clank, you're, you know, it's another nail in your coffin you feel as you're going up to the top of the roller coaster, right? And so you're going up and you're feeling, you're leaning back there and, and it's going up and up and up and up and up and up and you, you know, if you're crazy, you look over the, over the side, you know, and you see how high you are and you, you get right to the top and what do you do? Now, not everybody does this, but I do this. But well, a lot of people close their eyes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you look down. Yeah, you look down. What else do you do instinctively? Pardon? You wish you weren't there. You, you grab onto the bar, right? You grab onto the bar. Doesn't make any difference, does it? You don't have to grow. In fact, some people don't. Yeah, <laughs> explain that. Somebody raise their hands. You know, those are the crazy ones, okay? But the sane ones grab onto the bar, right? Okay. Not that it makes any difference. You're not going to fall out. You're locked in, okay? But you grab onto that bar. Some of us close our eyes, and you just grit your teeth and you just hang on, okay? You're not going to let go as you plummet down. That's kind of an example, I think, of what we need to do with God. When, 
through tribulation, we are plummeting. Just grab and hang on. That's what the believer does. He doesn't understand what's going on. What's going on in his life may be terrifying. It may be difficult. It may be absolutely bewildering. But the one thing the believer in God does is he just grabs and he just holds on for all he's worth to God. That's perseverance. That's perseverance. It's just hanging on to God through that difficulty. And the believer does that. Now, you might be going, well, how do I know the believer? Well, I'll tell you in just a minute how I know the believer does that. Okay. But the believer holds on by faith to God. Okay. And, and it's not that he's not tempted to despair. He's not tempted uh, uh, at, at various points to kind of to, 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 to waver in his unbelief or to waver in unbelief. But the characteristic of his life is he just clings to God. He perseveres. And if he does that, or she does that, if he or she does that and clings to God as he's, he or she is plummeting to, to the earth, so to speak, in this, in this terrifying tribulation, whatever it is, or difficulty or struggle that he's he or she's encountered, as he's plummeting, as he's clinging to God, what happens in his life? What does he say? Proven character. So this this tribulation brings about in the believer's life proven character. And this theme runs throughout the New Testament, doesn't it? Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. James talks about it. The writer to Hebrews talks about it. No discipline for the moment seems to be profitable or seems to be joyous, but in the end it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, right? Okay. The writer of the psalm says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Psalm 119.67 okay. this, is, this is the teaching of Scripture. That as we encounter tribulation, as we go through tribulation, and we persevere, and we cling to God, what happens is, is we develop in our lives, or what is developed in our lives, is a proven character. And, 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 I, and I think what he's saying there, I, I don't think he's just simply saying that our character is proven through tribulation. That is, in fact, true, of course. But I think he's actually saying that, that the character itself is being developed. Because if you look at other passages of Scripture, that's, that's obvious. Like the passage from Psalm, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. So, yes, Rick. Right. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. So, so this proven character develops as a result of persevering through tribulation. Now, here's what's interesting. Is, as I can see the connection between tribulation and perseverance and the connection between perseverance and proven character, but then you get to the next one. And proven character brings about hope. And and I keep going. Okay, Lord, I don't understand that connection. Yeah. So with the roller coaster illustration, you have hope. Sure, <laughs> 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 that's, that's true. Yeah. Well, and hopefully that hope is not disappointed. <laughs> um, but but here's the 
here's the profound thing about tribulation for the believer. Is that in fact, it does produce hope. Because when we think about what he said earlier about hope, we exult in hope of the glory of God and we talk about what the glory of God is, right? When we talk about what the glory of God is, two things. One, it's on one side, it's being in His presence, experiencing His glory, seeing His glory, walking, you know, just all the glory it's going to be just to be in heaven with God. But the other aspect of it is actually being in His likeness, bearing His image, displaying in our own beings, in our character and in our beings, displaying the glory of God. And so what we discover is that as we develop through this process of tribulation, perseverance, proven character, that we find we are being, as he says, conformed into the image of his son. In fact, we've been predestined to that, we will learn in Romans chapter 8. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a believer, you ultimately will be like Christ. I know it. You've been predestined to it. And then one of the things that the Scripture tells us is that ultimate eschatological hope that we've talked about, that ultimate eschatological hope that's given to us, that God has not only set that hope out there in front of us down the road in the future somewhere, but He has given us what? As assurance that that's going to ultimately happen. What has He given us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's given us a pledge. He's given us a down payment. Okay? So God has given to us a down payment in our lives that is a, that's a guarantee of hope. I like that old, that old uh, uh, King James word that's used there for pledge in those verses. uses the word earnest. You know, we talk about earnest money, right? Where does that word come from? Why do we use the word earnest money? What, is, what does the word mean? <laughs> well, sincerity. Yeah, the idea of earnestness. Okay? If I give earnest money... It's, you know, we use the term down payment now. Earnest is kind of an, an antique way of saying it, but it communicates the idea of this person's really earnest about it. They're really serious about it. And God has given us earnest money. God has shown us the earnestness of His intention of giving us that, that final eschatological hope by giving to us what? His Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to remember that the Holy Spirit is not Something out here that God says, okay, I need, to, I need to give them a down payment. So I go over and I get this and I bring it over and I give it to them as the Holy Spirit is Himself. The Holy Spirit is God. Right? So when God gave us His Spirit as a down payment, as a pledge, as an earnest of the hope that lies before us, He didn't just give us something that he owned, something that was precious to him, he gave us himself. We have God already. 
in us, indwelling us. It's the same hope, but it's an even greater hope, isn't it? It's actually been enhanced. It's, it's grown, okay. So, so I think what Paul is saying here is we go through all this tribulation and we go through this process of perseverance and proven character and then we find at the end we, ha- we, we still have hope, but we not only still have hope, we got more hope. And the reason is, he says, what? In verse... Hope does not disappoint because what? The love of God has been poured out within his heart and within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How is it that tribulation brings about perseverance, brings about proven character, brings about proven hope, or brings about uh, hope? How is it that that happens in the life of a believer and doesn't happen in the life of the unbeliever? The unbeliever has nothing to look forward to. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. They don't, gain any out in them. they don't have the Holy Spirit. The, when, I, when I said earlier, this, this, this is the experience of the believer. If you're a believer, this happens in your life. How do I know? Because if you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing this. And so as I see this process at work in my life, as I see that I, okay, I went through tribulation here and I gained some perseverance and I gained some character and and now I've got more hope than I even started with. And I go, how'd that happen? Is God's Spirit working in me? Yeah. You illustrated, I think, hope. I don't know if you knew you were doing that or not. Probably not. <laughs> a minute ago, when you erased the blackboard, uh-huh. you said, I'm going to erase all these like God will do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's... Yes, yes. And, and one of the... the Here's, here's the thing. God doesn't just erase it. Uh, I just, you know, uh, a few weeks ago I did my, uh, pre- my, one of my presentations in Roundtable and I did it on the subject of the problem of evil. And uh, you all been in the class, you know, I, I kind of like to get onto that area, that subject a little bit now and then. Uh, but so I had the opportunity to do the presentation and, and, and uh, I love that subject. I love the subject of evil because I love what God says about it. And the thing that Paul makes very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about all the suffering that he's gone through. And and then there towards the end of chapter 4, he says, it's all just a momentary light affliction. You know, and I read it and I go, now wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> Yeah. What have you been smoking? Yeah. Momentary light affliction. I mean, if you go back to the end of Second Corinthians chapter 11 and you read his actual list, you know, beaten times without number, beaten with rods four times, stoned and left for dead, you know, uh, all, you know and, 
and 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 this is this has been his experience from the beginning to the end of his life after he came to Christ, you know. So it's a lifetime lifetime experience. And I go, Paul calls this a momentary light affliction. Why does he say that? Well, he says the reason it's a momentary light affliction. He says is because it is producing all this evil that he experiences in his life is producing an eternal weight of glory which is beyond all comparison. So it's not just that I go through all these bad experiences in my life and I tough them out and, and I get a little character out of the deal. It's not just that. It's that actually all this stuff is producing an eternal weight of glory. So, so somehow all this junk that was Paul was going through, and it's important to realize that in his list, he does not just include persecution. But he includes all these other dimensions of suffering. That for the believer, every evil thing that I experience in my life, from the you know from the fender bender on my way to an important appointment to the loss or death of a loved one or a crippling disease, whatever it is. Every single evil that I experience in my life, I am convinced and believe the teaching of Scripture is that as a believer, because I am a believer and because I have the Holy Spirit, that it is that evil is actually itself producing in my life and for my life an eternal weight of glory that will so far exceed the suffering that I'm experiencing that I will not be able to comprehend it. Because I can't compare. Remember, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was telling you about, you know, it was right after the election and some of us were really bummed out, you know, okay. And I was telling you about how bummed out I was that night. And I, you know, I, and I went to bed and I just kept having all these horrible thoughts, you know, things I wanted to say or, you know, you know, just, I, I, was, I was angry, I was disappointed, I was... I was, you know, I just, it was just a very black night. And I went to bed and I laid in bed and all these thoughts kept going through my mind and I could not get over it and I couldn't get over it. And so finally I go, this is stupid, laying here in bed. So I got up and I grabbed a couple music CDs and I got in the car and I just started driving. And the first thing I did was I turned on the radio to a Christian radio station and, you know, and, and, and I don't even know who was talking and I don't even remember what they were talking about, but at least it got... You know, it was it was it was something eternal. It was something good. You know, that just for a few moments, and it just shifted in my and I, and it was just a couple of weeks after I made my presentation in roundtable on the subject of evil. And and so so that just it kind of that kind of that kind of jarred me. And then I stuck Mozart's Requiem in and was listening to Mozart's Requiem as I was driving and. And I just got to thinking, okay, what is, what is God's perspective on this? I got to get God's perspective. And then I remembered what I just spent 
months studying and preparing is that God turns for the believer all evil into an incomparable weight of glory. And I just thought about that for the next 45 minutes as I drove down the interstate and back. Is okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, it doesn't look good to me. It's an ugly picture. looks like evil to me. But if it is evil, it ain't nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that it ultimately will produce in my life and in the life of all of God's people. And I could come home and go to bed. See, that's our hope, folks. Our hope is not just that He's going to erase the evil, but He is going to do that. But that the evil actually produces, Paul says, an eternal weight of glory. So whatever the suffering is that I'm encountering in life, and I don't think it's just related to persecution. And I think I can show that pretty conclusively from the things that Paul says throughout the New Testament. But that all of the evil that we encounter and we experience in our life, ultimately for the believer is producing an eternal weight of glory because we have a down payment in our life of the Holy Spirit. It is in our life the first outpouring of the love of God. God loves us. And God has shown that love by pouring out into our lives His Holy Spirit. He has given Him as a pledge, as an evidence of the love that He has for us. And, 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 and one of the experiential evidences of the love of God is that we see, as we as believers go through suffering, we see this process carried out. So I go through tribulation. Now, I don't like it. Now, folks, tribulation is tribulation. So don't get the mistake that when Paul says, I exult in my tribulation, that he wasn't tribulated. <laughs> is that a word? Okay. Don't think that he didn't suffer. Don't think that he didn't weep. Don't think he didn't feel pain. Don't think that he, that he didn't wish he was in a different circumstance. When Paul suffered, he suffered. Right? So it's not this kind of Pollyanna, you know, well, I'm getting, you know, rocks are hitting me in the head, but really, this is pretty cool. You know, it's not that. Okay, it's not that. But it's that as he experienced the anguish and the pain and the difficulty of tribulation, as he really felt it, he knew that somehow, by the work of the deposit of the Holy Spirit in his life, it was producing perseverance. And perseverance was producing proven character. And he was growing in his hope. And so the more he suffered, the more he contemplated the eternal weight of glory. And as he says there in Corinthians, as he says, he thought about the things that are eternal and not temporal. He would get his mind on the eternal things as he was going through suffering, and 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 then he and then he would look at the he would look at this process that happened in his life. So he'd go through suffering, he'd go through this process, and he'd come out on the other end, and he'd have a little more hope than he had to start with. And he'd go, 
Wow, that was God. God did that in me. God's Holy Spirit did that in me. He effected in my life a transformation, a change, and now on this end of the suffering, I'm more like Christ than I was before I started. And that's exactly what He said I'm predestined to be. So I see God's love in my life. I see God working in my life. I see how much God loves me. I see that He loves me so much He gave me a deposit of Himself to hold me over, to tide me over until the final eschatological hope is realized. He's done that in my life. God loves me. And so I can exult in my tribulation. Well, I've got three verses then. There's another aspect to the love of God. So Paul says... Paul says, I got this hope, and this hope is sure because I know God loves me. And I know God loves me because I've experienced it. And that's what he's talked about in the three verses we looked at today. Now, next week, <laughs> next week, we'll get to the next three verses. And hopefully we'll get through verse 11, so that's my goal. But next week, he's going to talk about another evidence of God's love, which is even more profound than this experiential thing that we've talked about today. The love of God when we were still sinners. Okay? Alright, so that's what we'll do next week.